Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Gabby Rosen Podcast! Hello and welcome to That Gabby Rosen Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. Jason Isaac's CV is very long and very impressive, and we managed to talk about so many of his amazing roles, including Captain Hook in Peter Pan, one of our family favourites, and of course, Harry Potter. He shares the story of the audition that led to him being cast as Lucius Malfoy and his secret conversation with J.K. Rowling about the final instalments of the film franchise. He also chats about the late-night phone call he received about being in Brit Marling's The OA on Netflix and how fast he got the part. We talk in-depth about his new Sky original movie called Mass, which will be available in cinemas and on Sky Cinema from the 20th of January. This film reduced me to tears. It stayed with me for a very long time. It's a movie I will never forget and is one of the most moving and powerful things I have ever watched. He tells me about what his wife really thinks of his singing, what singing shows he sneakily watches under the duvet, and how farting makes him laugh. He is such a lovely man, and I do hope you enjoy this. Please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. Okay, so Jason, when you were seven and you cut open the arm of the chair... Corduroy yeah, sofa. What yeah, what was inside it? Foam was inside it. And it was the first adult moment of my life. My ki- first my parents adult had gone moment? Out. Yeah, my parents had gone out and we had a new sofa and I got a bread knife and I wanted to know what was inside it. And I sawed it open and I saw, oh, look, it's foam. And then I thought, do you know what? 
I'm going to get in trouble for this. And that is so unfair because I just wanted to know what was in there. And then I sat there with a bread knife and foam around me thinking, I'm going to remember this. This is the first moment I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, this actual feeling, and I do. So you know what's so extraordinary? So doing all the research on you, that comes up every so often, this thing about the Well, I tell the same crap old stories when I get asked. (laughs) The thing is you get old and you've been asked lots of questions. You trot out the same things, but I do remember it. It's, It's my first actual memory. The other things are from photographs. Oh, although... Really? Well, you know, I don't know about you. I'm yeah, told no, I'm a that, bit like that. I'm told that when we tell stories, uh, uh, the way it works scientifically is that you kind of reassemble the neurons from your filing cabinet in your brain. And then next time, what you're doing is not telling a story based on the original memory at all. It's based on the last time you told the story. So I don't know, but I think that's my first memory. Okay, so what you don't remember... Do you remember being a child, though, in Liverpool and what it was like? I don't know that... I, yeah, I, I mean, I remember being in Liverpool. We left when I was 11, so, yeah, I remember lots of things about being in Liverpool. Uh, whether they really happened or not, the way I remember them, I don't know. Yeah. That's really interesting. I look at photographs and I, I can see the movement around the photograph, but I don't necessarily remember the exact time. Does that make sense? Is that Whoa, your phone? That yes, OK, who, phone. take it. Damn. Who is it? Is anyone interested? It's Ian Softly. I'm hoping to make a film with him next year. Uh, so, well, now you have to answer. Bit of Kelly. No, I can't answer it. Answer and say yes. Good. Say you're up for the film. You're on the Gabby Roslin podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I love that. You could just say yes. I'll Sorry about that. Film. Ian, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I would never not normally take your call. Yeah. Go on, ring him back. No. We've had people do that. Alan Cummings, who... Oh, and we also we... know in common. Yes, I mean... Should we say, Gabby, that this is an odd thing? Because no. we don't really know each other, but we know millions we of people know. in common. We've met at so once. So there's an oddness times. here. Right. Alan Cummings yeah. told me, we will go back to your childhood in Liverpool, just, but Alan just Cummings... For the listener, Gabby's yeah, waving a, a blue biro at yeah. me. Yeah, OK. I'm horrified what story she's about to tell. Yeah, well, Alan, who's been on the podcast, told me that you're a magician... Oh, I have done And that you're right the here. person that taught him the pen trick for James Bond. Oh, that was, yeah, yeah. Is that, that was true? Tweedly, wasn't it? I, my, I think I taught him, How I was in a series spin. called Capital City when I first yeah, I came out of drama school. And I went down to the city and I watched what they were all doing. And they were doing a lot of uh, drugs and champagne. And also when they sat there, their legs were bouncy all the time. Again, this is great for audio. Leg was bouncing like this. You can all see it, can't you? And, uh, and they were twiddling pens. So I taught him the twiddling pen thing. But also I did the bouncing leg thing all the time because, uh, you know, it was for people who were... So, but they did it because they're all, lots of them are on cocaine. It's a very high adrenaline thing. And I did it for weeks and weeks and three or four episodes. And then one day the cameraman said to me, Jason might not want to do the bouncing leg thing in your close-ups. And I said, no, no, they all do it. He said, yeah, but it it looks like you're wanking. (laughs) And I said, why didn't you tell me when we started? He said, well, you know, it's not my job. (laughs) So uh, I stopped doing that. I love that show. Was that strange? Well, I do do magic. Sorry, yeah, that was the question. Yeah, I do do magic. But I was going to tell you about a phone ringing. Oh, I was on stage at, at the... This is a wide-ranging conversation. I was on stage in this play at the Royal Court years ago about the um, Northern Ireland, about uh, the IRA and, and UDF and stuff. And it was a very serious, uh, very intense play. And it was without an interval. And it built up to this long silence at the end. At the end, uh, And finally, this kind of climactic moment happened and it was at the time they were negotiating the storm peace agreement so we had all those people come and people who were not identifying themselves from the different groups coming as well as well as politicians and we had people blocking the fire exits and stuff it was a real uh, it was just one of those moments in theatre and one night we'd earned this long silence during which someone's about to crack and a phone started ringing 
in the in the crowd, and the person didn't switch it off. Maybe it was in their bag or pocket, and it, they had it on ascending rings, so it just got louder and louder, and it had ruined the entire play until finally I realised it was in my pocket. <gasps> it was I mean, yours. It was me, and I was in the scene, and they didn't have phones in 1970 when the play was set, and I pulled it out my pocket and I went, I answered it and I went, fuck off! And put it back in my pocket as if somehow to cover, as if that was relevant. And then for years afterwards, I go to the World Court and I go, oh, two tickets, please. And they go, hey, you're the guy with the phone, right? Oh, yeah. my God. Terrible, terrible moment for me. But there are wonderful stories about, um, who is it? I've sworn oh. twice now on your podcast. No, Gabby. it's fine. It's Just put me next to it. It's fine. Okay, it's fine. a podcast. I mean, that's why I thought, when I was first offered Potter, and my agent said to me, it, he said to me, have you read the Potter? And I said, well, well, no, because I'm an adult. And he said, they're really pretty good. And then I went, yeah, well, uh, I'm sure they're wonderful. And then they sent me them, and I read, I, I, there were four books published at the time. I opened the front copy, and, and a week went by in which I didn't change my underwear or brush my teeth or, you know, or look up when I was driving. I'm embarrassed to say I just devoured them, and I suddenly got... Uh, why the books were so popular. And did you just say, yes, I'll do it? Or did you, you no, didn't I didn't have want to, to audition. do it. I, didn't, I did have to audition, I didn't want to do it. You did have to I audition? auditioned for Gilderoy Lockhart, which is the part oh, that came around. Right. Actually, Alan Cumming was auditioning yeah. for at the same time as well. Um, and I went in to meet Chris Columbus, and uh, I'd already said that I was going to play Captain Hook. I'd been offered that part, and I was going to go to Australia for a year. Which you are uh, in my you know, family. You, my, my youngest loves it's you a, Captain It's such a brilliant film, and I say that with no... Uh, it's no kind of boast because it took 27p at the box office, but it, I, I still think it's brilliant. It. But anyway, it. I said I was going to do Captain Hook, so I went into audition for Gilda Lockhart, and I gave my marvelous Gilda, uh, and it was so good that Chris Glover said, um, "Hey, would you consider a different part? Would you would you mind reading Lucy's Malfoy?" And my my head went immediately. Oh, I'm playing two parts in the same film. It's extraordinary. You didn't. In my head, I thought. And then I, went, <laughs> and then I suddenly realised what he meant. You're not playing Gilbert Lockhart. And I went, oh, well, I mean, I hadn't. He goes, why, you want to go outside and think about it for a minute? And I went outside and I called my agent. And I was like, I'm not fucking auditioning for Lucy's Mouth. I'm playing a, you know, a bad guy in a children's film already. And I, you know, I've done The Patriot a couple of years ago. And, I don't and he goes, well, you don't have to take the job. Just go and audition for it. And I said, no, I might do myself out playing Gilbert Lockhart. Not realising in my vanity that I, clearly I wasn't going to get the job anyway. And, uh, and he said, well, just go in. I said, I don't want to go in. And the assistant came out and said, are you ready? And I went, yeah, yeah, sure, ready. And I went in and I read with such bitterness <laughs> through such gritted teeth because I didn't want to be there. And I think that's why they offered me the job. And I said to my agent, I, I don't want to do it. And he said, well, just oh, take the weekend to think about it. I said, I don't want to play Captain Hook and Lucy Smalfoy. I just feel like a, playing two bad guys in a row like that is a bad idea. And he was... Alan's agent as well, Alan Rickman's agent. He said, you know, Alan did Die Hard and, and uh, Robin Hood. Didn't do him any harm. And I went, well, yeah, but I don't know. He said, I'll, I'll call you on Monday. And over the weekend, everybody called me. Like all my, my godchildren, my nephew, I think our mutual friend's child called. Like every child I knew in the world and the parents called me to say, you've got to take the part in Harry Potter. Um, not because they're giving monkeys about my career, it's because they wanted to come visit the city, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and thank God that I did. They were all right. It's a fantastic part in the most extraordinary phenomenon that still gives so much pleasure to so many people. But didn't you fight to make sure you were in the last ones as well? No, I just didn't know. Because every time, I didn't sign like seven pictures, I just signed to do that film. And every time they come back. Are you and only say, signed to do one? Yeah, yeah. And every time they come out and they go, well, you're not in the next one. It was great that I wasn't in three because I could go and do Peter Pan. But then. I only had a little bit, and they'd come and they'd say, we need you for February and two days in May and all of October, and you go, well, uh, but you couldn't take 
you know, it didn't, they didn't pay for the whole time, just paid for the time you're working. It meant I missed out on lots of jobs. So there were numbers of times I thought, I'm not going to do it. So when they offered me number five, it was really just a few days here and there, but it, it blocked out a whole bunch of time. And I thought I wasn't going to do it because I wasn't in the sixth book. And I, she was writing the seventh book. And I thought, well, I, I mean, if I'm done, what's the point? And, it, you know, and then I went to an awards ceremony and she was there. And they said, oh, Joe's here. And I said, I've never met her. And they went, you never met her? Oh, would you want to be introduced? And I said, yeah, thanks. So I was walking over to her table thinking, don't ask her what's in seven. She's never going to tell you. She's like, and it's the biggest secret in the publishing world. And there's no, uh, but if, I mean, could I? Could, no, no, just be gracious. Say thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. I and, honor. and I got there and they said, Joe, Jason, Jason, Joe. And she went, hello, darling, how are you? And I went, I'm not good. Get me out of prison. <laughs> Get me out of Azkaban. And she looked over her shoulders, looked all around and she went, you're out, chapter one. And I went, all right, thanks very much. And, uh, and that's when I signed up for number five. Oh, yeah. my God. So she did tell you. She told me. She didn't tell me. She didn't tell me I was out in chapter one, didn't appear for another 400 pages. <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I signed up for number five, yeah, yeah. What does it feel like to be in one of the biggest franchises ever? It doesn't feel like anything because I did my job and then I went on to 100 other jobs since. So no, I there know are other that. people sitting in Warner Brothers, I'm sure, dreaming up theme parks. But for me, I just then went home and took the rubbish out or didn't and drove my kids to school and then went on to do no, the next job. No, I know job. that because you're a regular person and I know all of that. But it's still the phenomenon. You know, yeah, people think of Harry Potter and it's it, it's bigger than anyone ever imagined, that anyone could ever I know, but think I still of. can only eat one meal and... And I still yeah. forget to take the rubber bins out on Thursday night. And, I, I, you know, and then I've done Thursday. dozens of other jobs since. Oh, I thought the bins got... Well, no, it's go. Wednesday nights. Well, so it depends where in the street you are. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, I, it doesn't feel like... I mean, the only thing that's weird about Harry Potter... Not weird, sorry, different, is that most jobs I do for the job, I'm old enough, sage enough, experienced enough, or whatever it is, to try and enjoy the, my life, my, my day, because who the hell knows what's happening tomorrow? Um, and you certainly don't know with films or television series if anyone's going to watch them or if they're going to be popular or, or not. And, and, uh, and I'm glad that I've had that attitude for a while because Peter Pan, for instance, you know, was a terrible flop. But why? Uh, I, well, that's a different discussion. I mean, I have that discussion with it, but the thing is, I learned to enjoy it. So I enjoyed this incredible year right, we had okay. in Australia. And when it was a flop, it was disappointing, but it didn't... I wasn't, wasn't doing it invested in what was going to happen afterwards. I was just enjoying the experience. So, but with Harry Potter... Something else happened. Like the, there wasn't that much filming, and creatively, there wasn't that much to do. There was, you know, there was long, long gaps waiting around, and then working for five minutes, and then stopping. And there were, you know, I didn't have much to do acting-wise. Um, but for decades now, people get enormous pleasure from it, and I can give enormous pleasure from just standing in the room like a lump. You know, people are thrilled to meet me because really it helps them connect with this huge part of their childhood. And for a lot of people. The Potter stories and Potter characters are a real life raft in choppy seas for them, you know, or lights in the darkness or whatever metaphor you come up with. People have been suicidal and people have been very lonely and bullied and stuff. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. Like I, I get to still be part of bringing pleasure to people, whereas most things I do the job and then whatever happens after has nothing to do with me. How amazing to know you can stand in a room and... Just, just by that. signing an autograph, you know, and you give it to someone and they go, you don't understand, they've had it laminated, they, you know, they, they sleep on it in a pillow or they, you know, it has pride of place. And it, and it really does bring joy to people to be connected with the Potter world. And uh, I don't have to do very much. I'm pretty lazy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you did your law degree and then decided that's what you want to be an actor, did you ever think that you'd be able to say that, was it about the pleasure that you could bring others or was it because oh, you no. wanted to be satisfied by that pleasure? Yeah, it was because it was the only thing I'd ever done that felt like I didn't have to pretend to be someone else. That's a weird thing, isn't it? I've never said it before. Uh, so my whole life, I always felt like I needed to be what other people need to be in a social group. So I was from Liverpool and we moved to London and my accent was weird and wrong. And then I had friends inside school and outside school. They were kind of different worlds. And then I was a skateboarder at the South Bank and I was one of the I've only white kids. And there were, you know, and, and I had to, and then I went to university and they were all very, very posh from worlds I didn't even know existed. And I had to try and, in my head, I had to try and pretend that I belonged with those people. And then I found a rehearsal room and, and you could be anyone. It didn't matter where you came from. It was what you were in that room. Maybe in the creative world generally, you know, it didn't really matter. I wasn't, I didn't judge myself. I wasn't embarrassed about who I was, how I sounded, what I dressed like, what my background was. Were you embarrassed before that then? Yeah, lots of times. I was just very self-conscious about, I didn't quite fit anywhere. Uh, And uh, I was Jewish and so that that was, you know, many places I felt I didn't fit also. So uh, in a rehearsal room, it didn't matter. We were a community of the arts. We were exploring the human condition. And so to bring anything to it that marked you out as belonging to a tribe was wrong because we needed to be neutral. And I, and I loved that. And I still love that. I still love everything about that. So it was bringing you pleasure and then in turn... Sorry, you yeah, I forgot what the question could... was. No, but, uh, yeah, you, no, no, but it, was. it was bringing you pleasure. It was entirely pleasure. for me. It was entirely for the exploration. It wasn't for the performance. And it's still true. I think the most enjoyable part of my job now is I get to shadow people. And people tell you much more than they would ever tell a journalist. I've shadowed politicians and priests and, you know, plastic surgeons and, and uh, all kinds of people that you get under the skin of. And, and you get to walk in their shoes for a while and you get to experience, vicariously, you get to experience people as much as your imagination can take you there in amazing situations, in war or in trauma, like in mass. Or, or, um, and, and you get to live these, you know, a, a thousand lives and then go back to your own safe one. And that's what I love about it. So it wasn't really for anybody else. It's weird when people thank me, you know, thank you for your performance in something, and I go, it's so self-indulgent 
And then Once in a Blue Moon, this really cheesy segue to the film I meant to be publicizing it, but Once in a Blue Moon, it really is maybe twice in my career or something. I'm part of something that is not, look at me, it's look at this. You know, it, it, it's, it's, this has something to offer you. Your life might be better. If you know, you'll be entertained, you'll be gripped, you know, but, but by the end of it, you might have a bit of a roadmap to deal with things in your life better uh, and that will you know, give you some strength. And uh, they're really rare. Well, Matt, okay, we, we, we've got to talk about Sorry, mass. I didn't mean to no, kill no, like no, You kill no, it whenever you want. No, 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 no. I want to talk about mass. I have a problem talking to you about it because I'm, I thought when I saw you that I'd end up in floods of tears. If I think about it now, that I, this is no word of a lie. I don't, there, there are three things recently that have affected me deeply that I've watched. Uh, one was Mayor of Easttown, mm-hmm. one was Promising Young Woman, and one was Mass. And I, I watched, this is absolutely true, so I got the secret link to Mass. Mm-hmm. I watched half of it and at home, and I had to uh, leave the sitting room, and I walked around the house, and my husband said, are you all right? You know, how was it? I, I actually need to talk to you about it, but I can't talk to you about it. I just need to cope with what I've just watched. No, what I've just witnessed. And he said, witnessed? I went, I, I can't talk to you. And I went out. I went outside for a walk, and I was gone for about 45 minutes. Then I came home, and I thought, I need to watch it from the beginning again. So I watched it all the way through, and I was left in an absolute mess. I... I cannot stop thinking about it. It has stayed with me. It's one of the most extraordinary pieces of film I have ever... I'm going to use the word witness again, that I've ever witnessed, because that... I'm so glad the, you think the, that. The, I'm going to cry now. Ah, I mean, I will... I do I, think it's special. I, oh, I, I, I really goodness. do think it's special. But I hope that it left you feeling hopeful. I mean, it's, oh, it's a story of hope in the end. It's a story of it, the possibility of growth and forgiveness. There's, you know? I, I really am. I'm really affected by this film. So there's a moment at the end, the spoiler, amount spoiler of alert. times... No, 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 I'm not okay. going to give anything away. But there is this moment in the end where suddenly my emotions are turned completely around. And I, all the way through, I didn't realise I would feel what I felt. I'm not going to give anything away because I, de- I decided not to read anything. None of the, the reviews That's are giving really too much away. They really are. Oh. Because our story, our plot is the emotional journey of the characters. If you talk about those in the article, no you're idea. giving away our plot. You know. But why have they... It's really annoyed me. Oh, the reviews are incredible. But I didn't read any before because it said, don't get... you know. And it said, when you're coming to chat uh, to Jason, you know, please, no spoilers, don't give anything away. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go for the ride. And because it takes you on this extraordinary trip and your emotions it makes you rethink how you always think you felt. It makes you reevaluate your own um, emotions. It's, I'm going to get, again, so the third time I said it, what I witness, I, I feel like I'm part of something that's so deeply intimate and personal, mm. and yet they're letting me watch this. So it feels that they're letting me in. Yeah, yeah. Feels like you're at the table. Oh, yeah. no. How, no, it's, how it's did you film that? How long did it take to film? Well, that the, most of the film is not giving too much weight. Most of the film is a conversation, a single yes. conversation, which is a kind of remarkable thing because, you know, it's just physically small film and it, and it feels in some ways like the biggest film I've ever the made. The biggest, it's, The biggest emotional landscape, yeah. if that's not too pretentious a phrase, I don't know. But, um, no, it's not pretentious. So that was eight days, that, that conversation. And then the film overall was another four or five days because we shot the 
unfortunately, the first day was we shot the beginning and end because that's the exterior, and that's when we had yeah. the other actors play the other parts. Um, but most of it was just over a week, and uh, it was a very, you know, it was as intense an experience making it as you can imagine, as it is watching it. But um, I'm so glad you felt. I, I, I'll be honest, when I read it, I had no notion if it would make a watchable film. I knew that it would be something to experience as an actor, but I didn't know if it would just be a big welter of self-indulgence. I also didn't know if I was good enough and if I could get oh my God, to you be are... as honest. Okay. Don't, no, no, don't no, go there. Don't, no, 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 please let but me no, say no, this. No, no, you can't, you can't. No, I can, it's about I can. what the no. characters go through. No, that's what I, don't I, talk to us about what we No, I'm not going to say about your performance. That's not what good. I'm going to say. Okay. What I'm going to say is that I absolutely believe that the four of you are those people yeah. because, because it comes from somewhere so deep so it's, I, that's why I keep saying it. I'm witnessing it. I'm, I'm not talking about your performances, but I'm talking about these people and what they have gone through and what they're going through and the conversation they have and the silence. What you don't say is more powerful than what you yeah. do say and that there's no music and it's just this conversation. And the silence, the silent moments are the most beautiful things I've ever seen on, on camera. Yeah, thank you. It is... It, it's nothing like anything I've done before or probably will ever do again. And uh, and I was scared when I read it of two things. One is, uh, am I up to this level of truth? You know, I've got a bag of tricks that I can wheel out. I've been acting for a long time. I can pretty much approximate. I can imagine what people have imagined when they wrote it. And I can give them something like that. Maybe I can do something more sometimes. This seemed to require something much more than that from me and all of us. Um, and then I thought, if I managed to get somewhere close to it, if I managed to experience, because acting's weird. I mean, it's, it is pretend, but you're trying not to pretend. You're trying to be the thing as much as you can. You trick your imagination into really experiencing it, you know. Uh, and uh, so if I did all that, and we all managed to do that together, would anybody want to watch it? Could, you know, is there any way that that's a cinematic experience? We did do something extraordinary together. We felt like we'd gone through something, but there's nothing more nauseating than actors going, oh my God, we climbed Everest. You know, mm. talking about what they went through and you watch it and you go, I don't care. Um, but I, I've now seen it with audiences because it's something else. I've watched it by myself, but I saw it with audiences recently in, in Washington. And when you can feel nobody dares breathe and you can feel the kind of relief at the end of, of the kind of hope and the emotion flooding through people en masse, you know, in a group, it sort of reminds you of the power of cinema. It reminds you, we've all been watching this stuff at home and some people are lucky enough to have big screens and nice sound and stuff. They go, why should I go out? And you go, because stories connect you. You, you feel connected with other, I mean, this is a film about connection, but even when it's not, you're connected with other people when you're told the story together. Um, and it's really, it's a miracle that, <laughs> that nothing went wrong. You know, anything could go wrong in films. One, one of the actors not being uh, up to it, into it, committed, the music being wrong, the editing being off, something, the cameraman being clever. It, it, there are so many things that can knock this thing off its perch, and it just works. It just is a powerful story, powerfully told, and, and, and we all left our egos at the door and left our bags of tricks at the door, I think. I, I, I marvel at the other three's acting. I don't like watching myself, but I think the other three are so utterly brilliant. In but this. also, no, the, the other people, the the, I, the the two that... Oh, no, the people who set it up. No, 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 they're, they're phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. She's, Brina and Kagan are, are great, and all of them are great, yeah. But, okay, there's... And they're also, perfect. You need them. You need the ordinary people who are not going through this stuff to kind of frame and contextualise us absolutely. when we arrive. Absolutely. 
was it all scripted? Because it felt like I, I was watching an unscripted it was, it was scripted. I mean, we had, a, we had a big contribution to make. So um, Fran and Martha, actually Martha really wanted a full rehearsal because she's done a lot of theatre. And Fran said, OK, fine, he was up for it. Fran being the writer-director. And I said, well, I can't. I've got to go to Australia and make a film. I, I was hoping just to arrive in Idaho. And they went, no, we've got to have a rehearsal. And I said, well, I can't come. You have to cast someone else. And we compromised in two days in New York. I had to fly to New York to meet them for two days and then fly to Australia. And in those two You're days... kidding me. No, no. And in those two days, when we were meant to be, I don't know, rehearsing, going through the script, what we really did was establish an intimacy. I mean, because acting is this vulnerable thing. In order to do that, you have to be prepared to make a complete fool of yourself. Uh, and... Uh, so Anne started the ball rolling by just telling stories immediately about what was going on in her life, some very vulnerable things about some challenging things that were happening to her. And, uh, and we all went, oh, well, that's the currency of this interaction. We need to do that too. And we were, I think, sharing things that you wouldn't share with someone you'd known for decades or maybe even your family members so that we felt, okay, now we really know each other. You know, we, went, we cut straight to something that is uh, very unusual. And we had a little bit of time, only a tiny bit of time to go through the script. And Fran did this thing that the best director I've ever worked with do, even though he'd written it. He went, listen, you know these characters better than me. You own them. You've got to tell me what doesn't work for you, what, what things you think they'd be dying to say, what things they wouldn't say, what things that when they want to shut the other people up and stuff. And so we all did. We all chipped in. I said, I don't think I'm going to listen to any of this bullshit from these two people. I don't care about their journey. Actually, I think I'm above it all. I've, I've done that male thing of thinking taking pain and trauma and turning it into something I can fix. I can, maybe I can change the law, maybe I can change how psychiatrists train people, how schools uh, exclude people. Maybe I can fix my wife, she's really fucked up. She needs to come here, she needs therapy, not me. Um, so these are the bits that I would do to try and manage the situation. And then Martha said, yeah, but when you did this, I would say, shut the fuck up. It's, you know, and I would, I would push it and, and we all said what we thought we would do. The script was pretty great. But we all made a contribution and Fran never pushed back. He went, okay, let's change that. Not because he didn't like the thing he wrote originally, but because he was smart enough to know that only when we owned what we were doing would we believe it. And only if we believed it would you believe it when you're watching it. So that really it trust. wasn't so much improvising on screen. It was we instantly hit the ground and had very bold opinions because we had no time. And he incorporated those in the script. Well, it is, it's one of those things I want everybody to see. And I, my husband didn't watch it because I wanted to watch it completely on my own to immerse myself in it. And I have spent the, the couple of days since. So all I talk to him about is what I can't talk to him about. Right. He's saying, I don't want to discuss it with you, but I have to talk about it. And he keeps saying, well, do you want to talk? He keeps saying to me, the, it was the first thing this morning. So I woke up at half past five this morning thinking about it again. So that's the second morning. That's after. so great. I mean, I, it's I, extraordinary. I think the reason it resonates, because it's not, I mean, it's great to go and watch something that's great. That, that's good enough by itself. But I think the reason it stays maybe with you or with any, everyone who watches it is because it's about something we all face every day, which is, uh, what's the baggage I carry? What am I carrying in my heart that, you know, about people I don't know? Well, people I've vilified or demonized or what kind of blame or guilt or shame or anger, hatred am I carrying when I wake up and get out of bed, because it's only affecting me. It's not changing my life, it's just weighing me down. And how can, I, how can I get rid of, how can I be grateful for what I've got and live my life to the full, no matter what happened to me in the past? There's this, uh, you know Esther Perel, the, yes. the relationship yeah. counsellor? Esther says that she grew up in a town in Belgium uh, which had a lot of Holocaust survivors, and there were two types of people. 
very binary. There were people who didn't die and the people who wanted to live. And, and I'm going to watch myself now, I'll start crying. But Jay and Gail want to live. No matter what's happened, they want to live and they want to live a life free from hate. And hate is crippling them. And that, I think, is very universal. And that's why the film is resonating with people. It's very interesting you talk about being grateful and everything. I think a lot of people are far more aware of that over the past 18 months. I think yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of everything that the world has gone through, but there's a lot of people who have thought, I'm going to live for each day. And I get that with when all the interviews that I've watched about you and the stuff that I've read. It's You're really... It's going to sound so corny and cheesy, but you're really, you are thankful for, for life and what you've well, got. Well, I, I say that out loud to try and make it true. They, these people come into the room in mass to say certain things because the therapist told them, you will feel better. But, you know, you, saying things and feeling them are different. It's a challenge. You know, the, the, their challenge is to see these other people as human. Uh, and, but all of us face that challenge every day. How do I be grateful? You can't think yourself into a different mood. But there are actions you can take if you're lucky or even, you know, making lists of things you're grateful for, or you can be of service to people. You can, you know, acts of kindness make you feel, oh, better, you know. completely. I mean, I so, think... But, so I'm not, I, I'm not what I put out there. I try and be what I put out. I put it out there so but that I can make But doesn't everybody try and be? Doesn't, I think everybody tries to be that. They, I mean, every, you know, you've talked very openly about your demons. I'm not going to talk about all of that stuff. And you talked about, you know, how tough you found it and the anti-Semitism and everything, and, and it... You know, it, it's very, very difficult, all of that. But I get from all, all of that that you do attempt to be, all right, I attempt as you to say. Be. You it's attempt that. to be. I try to but be. But don't we all do that? No, I think it's, and I can do it too. I can wake up, I can read the news and I'm full of rage and I can rage at other people around me about the terrible things going on in the world. I'm not doing anything to make them better. It's when I do things to make them better, I feel better. Not when I, you know, show, display my kind of righteous credentials. It doesn't do anything. Or well, you would have loved the taxi drive on the way over. I had an Uber driver the other night who had escaped from Afghanistan uh, in a terrible situation when he was, he was 14. I think he was 13. Wow. And his family go, you've got to go. You've got to get out. And, and, uh, and he had made his way across... Iran, I think, and Turkey and Greece and France and Italy. And he was a kid and a lot of people died around him. A lot of people starved, a lot of people were beaten, a lot of people drowned. And he'd made it and he's doing a degree here and he's wanting to give back to the country that had accepted him. He came here because he spoke a bit of English. That's why he fought his way across a whole continent when he was a child. When there was all kinds of sexual abuse around him and obviously physical abuse and starvation and stuff. He was an amazing man who had such a positive outlook and, and, and optimism and ambition for what he could do. He's not here to be a drain on resources. And I meet so many people who talk to me about refugees. They think they know refugees and asylum seekers. They think they know what they've been through and what they're here for. And uh, it's that, it's encounters like that that I'm lucky enough to come across that actually, you know, I don't want to profit you know, emotionally off other people's tragedy, but you, you need to be out in the world engaging with it to stop feeling sorry for yourself. I need to be out in the world and to wake up and feel grateful. What makes you laugh? I always ask everybody in the podcast, what makes you properly belly laugh? Oh, um, farting. Love that you That's said that. That's all there is. Can I ask you about the, the OA? That's another thing, I, I was obsessed with that. Is it true that you got the part at midnight or something? Yeah, yeah, I got two o'clock in the morning. They said yes, and I was on a plane at by about seven, yeah, yeah. For real? Yeah. Does that Yeah, happen? they replaced someone. 
No, it never happened to me in my life before. No, of course not. Because you always read about that. But so that really is a true story. Yeah, no, they cast someone, they shot with them for a week, they decided it wasn't working. They're incredibly bold, creative, risk takers. So they cast someone for whom English was not the first language. Uh, but he spoke perfect English, uh, according to his agent, and it turned out he didn't. <laughs> uh, so that was not working out. And the next day was the biggest day of the whole series, which is Grand Central Station, which would be, you know, blow third of their budget or whatever. And they went, I can't, we can't do it. And they phoned Netflix. They said, look, we've made a mistake. He's a lovely guy, but he's just not right. Can we replace him? And they went, what, by tomorrow? And they went, yeah. They said, well, I don't know, can you? And uh, they phoned me and I read them and I said, it's the best thing I've read. I can't believe that you're making this. And I will, I will pack my bags now. And uh, they went, well, pack. And um, my kids came down for breakfast and they went, where are you going, Dad? I said, I'm so sorry, I'm going to New York for five months. I'll see you later. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I got there and I hadn't met any. I hadn't met Brit, who wrote, co-wrote it. Yeah. I met her in character in Grand Central Station in the, in, when I met her on screen. Oh, you see, that's how you dream. So yeah, the yeah. amount of actors that dream of that happening. Yeah. No, it's, and actually, funny enough, there's a time in mass because I had a question about my part. You know, I remember I just got this thing a few hours before. I just got off the plane, went and bought a coat, I think, to play that. I can't quite remember the first day, but I went to Grand Central Station and I said, do you think he might X, whatever, some question about the guy? And Zal Batmanglish, who co-wrote it with Brit, said, I don't know, you know the guy much better than me. What do you think? And it's one of the best, bravest pieces of direction I've ever come across. And it's what Fran said on Matt. And, uh, and it just makes you feel... Uh, as an actor playing Empowered. a part, and suddenly the shoes fit and suddenly you feel like you are the person. You've been given agency. Do you know, it's one of those shows, though, that you know people who have watched it and who got it. It's very funny. Oh, way there. There's a sort of magic. nod and a wink. It's magic. There's, yeah, no, it's magic. They, they, it's like they have arrived from another planet. They've never seen anybody else's stories, any other storytelling, because they don't tell stories oh, it's incredible. like anybody else. It's know. incredible. Uh, okay, also... Do you, uh, what, what are the TV shows, the singing TV shows that you watch under the duvet? Oh, I watch all of them, I'm, and I'm always crying. I watch The Voice, I watch America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, I watch American Idol, I watch, uh, yeah, I can't stop. I lo- and I, I'm an utter sucker for that horrible m- manipulative <laughs> editing that they do that, you know, and the fake judging that they do and stuff. It doesn't matter. I just, I love a good voice. I'm like you, I'm more about musical theatre. In fact, there used to be an AM channel in Los Angeles that only played show tunes. <gasps> and I'd drive around and I'd listen, I'd sing along. Heaven. I love singing, I'm terrible. I'm terrible because I'm just half a note off. I'm not so bad that I don't, but I can hear. I've got musical, I can hear that I'm off. And I would drive around singing and I'd pull up at traffic lights and someone would look over and they'd go, and they'd see me singing something from Cats or, you know, Cabaret at the top of my voice. And they'd recognise me from The Patriot or whatever. They'd look in horror or from Black Hawk Down or something. And I'd mouth, audition. And then, <laughs> and then I'd drive off. Would you do a musical? <laughs> I'd been offered a musical. And I, uh, and I said, no, that's a terrible idea. I phoned the producers. I went, you're a moron. Or are you trying to lose the money? Is it like the producers? I, I can't sing. People will ask their money back. They went, we can teach you. I went, believe me. I love singing and I am terrible and you will really Do get it. place. So I, they gave me the CD, they sent me the score on the CD and all that stuff and I drove around singing it for a while and at some point Emma said to me, you're going to do that show? I said, why? And she goes, but are you going to do it? Because I don't think, it's a recast, so you're not going to do a recast, are you? I said, well, probably not. She goes, when are you going to decide? I said, I've decided. She goes, you're definitely not doing it. I said, no. She went, then stop singing those fucking songs. You're driving us all <laughs> mad. 
So what musical was it? I'm not. You're allowed to say. No. Oh my god! Oh, it doesn't matter. Any musical that I considered being in. If you're listening to this, don't buy a ticket. If I change my mind and take the job, save yourself. Well, they're going to do money. the Greatest Showman on stage. You could do that. I could not do that. <laughs> I very much could not. I love musical theatre, though. I love it. I'm so I can deliver a song like no. If they can auto tune from the wings, I'd do it. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to make a phone call. Always wanted to play Frankenfurter. Always. Um, now you've said it, you know that you're going to get those calls. Yeah, but uh, no, only by people who've either tried to burn, you know, Russian mafia tax money or something. <laughs> it's not. You will not make a profit with me doing a musical in the West End. Trust me. Or well, anyway. Can the other thing? Just finally, I want to talk about. I remember seeing you on stage in um, Angels in America. I can't believe it was that long ago, but it's I, nearly thirty years ago. That was. Just and yet neither of us have aged today. Yeah, not today. What's I'm, going I'm 33. I'm still. So I'm always 33. But that was incredible. What that was one of the last times I felt like what I felt on mass. And actually, oh really? I remember si- I was sitting in the wings. Uh, and I'm so sorry. I have told this story before, but it does make it less true. And the uh, older actors in it, Harry Talbot and Susan Engel, walked by and they went, "You're right, Jace." And I said, "No, I was just thinking to myself that nothing will ever match this. Like whatever I do in my." career, whatever comes and goes, nothing can ever touch this experience. And instead of saying what I hope I'd say to a young actor now, which is don't be silly, got your whole life ahead of you, they said, yeah, we were just saying in our dressing room how glad we are it's come at the end of our careers. <laughs> oh, my Thanks God. a lot. But actually, something like, I mean, I, I can't remember anything like Mass, you know, or rather nothing has come along in the same way like Mass has. I don't think, I like, okay, even at my real age of 33, <clears throat> I, I've never seen anything like it. Congratulations. I, I urge everybody to see this because I want to talk to everyone. I, I feel like I need to sit around and discuss it. So we need it. to support people who want to tell grown-up stories, oh, sophisticated God, stories yes. in the cinema without things blowing up that work. Instead of going without to see things CGI. we think are worthwhile. I'm afraid I'm on the various different juries and I have to watch lots of you know, independent films and lots of them are very worthwhile. They're really important they get made and they're boring as fuck. And this is gripping. This is, and so if you is... tell a story with value that is entertaining you know, on, you know, and takes you on a journey, uh, that's something people forget a lot when they have a worthwhile subject matter. Oh, it's incredible. So as thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next week, it's comedian and host of the great pottery throwdown, Ellie Taylor. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thanks so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.